Saving money on your outdoor project? Now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Warsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are back to recap yet another win by the Tennessee Titans to open the 2020 season. They are 5-0 and after a comeback win that really probably shouldn't have been a comeback win. Uh, but they pulled it out at the end, nonetheless, against the their division foe, the now 1-5 deplorable Houston Texans. So, guys, as we start, you know, we were kind of talking a few minutes ago uh, before we hit the record button about, you know, watching the Titans during the really bad years of, of Ken Wisenhunt and even some of the... Uh, the mediocre years of, say, Mike Munchak and early Mike Malarkey before they, they really turned it on with him. So I'll just start with this stat, and I tweeted this, but I just want your reaction to it. Titans have already won in 2020 the same number of games that they won over the course of two seasons from 2014 to 2015. We've come a long way. It's nice that we don't have a terrible football team anymore. I think uh, as we were going through some of the old teams uh, before the podcast started, I mean, I was getting a little, I was getting annoyed just because I wasted so many years watching a really bad football team. And it seems like finally, uh, really for the past couple of years, this has been the case where the Titans are always in contention, but we expected them to maybe take that next step this year, and they finally have. It seems like they're in the elite tier of football teams. At least that's the way they've played. Their record shows it. Uh, their offensive production shows it. The way they've played shows it. And it's just it's it's really fun because it's, it's been a long time since this. Uh, I mean, since 2008. I know we made the AFC Championship uh, game last year. But we weren't really dominating teams uh, to, to the extent that, that I think we have at times this year uh, and, and like we did back in 2008. So this is really an exciting time to be a Titans fan. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to quantify for me because I wasn't, you know, I didn't grow up a Steve McNair fan or anything like that just because I didn't watch the Titans play. So it's weird to see a functional offense that isn't, just embarrassing and it's weird to be a team that's winning because of your offense instead of winning because of, you know I don't want to say boring but because I, I love defense but it's exciting to watch a 30 point game and not know that the Titans are just getting throttled because they would never possibly score 30 points so 
I mean, it's it's fun. I mean, it's you know, you hate that it takes forty five points to beat any team in the league right now, which is what the Titans have. But at the very least, I guess they can do it. Yeah, we'll get into some of the minutia of negative things because there certainly are plenty to talk about. But you know, they do deserve praise and they deserve. Uh, positivity. But T.S., you mentioned, you know, we were kind of maybe not expecting it to quite go this well, but this was a team where the three of us certainly said, like, this is it. There's no excuses. There's no more, you know, well, the quarterback hadn't had this one coordinator from too many years, or well, that, that position just, like, it's over. The excuses are gone. They had continuity. They had plenty of talent. I remember someone asked me, before the season, maybe this happened on Twitter, and they said, uh, not what do you think will happen, what should this team's record be? And my answer was, based on their talent, they should go 2-14, and 14, or tw- excuse me, 12-4. and four. Now, I, I didn't, I'm, I'm not going to say, I didn't say that's what I think they'll do. I said that's what they're capable of. That's what should be the expectation. And they are very much heading in that direction and, you know, we're going to give, because like I said, that game should not have had to require a comeback. That game should have been over in the third quarter for the Titans. We're going to give Mike Vrabel some criticism in this episode that is deserved. But as we start, he deserves a whole heck of a lot of credit because what he does, and you know, it's been highly publicized. He took that 12 men on the field penalty intentionally to play the rules and stop the clock. But beyond that, just in terms of organizing this team, getting everybody on the same page, I mean, I can't tell you how many national media people I've heard from Rich Eisen to Colin Cowherd, Dan Orlovsky say, well, when you watch the Titans, you're watching 53 Mike Vrabels running around in terms of their attitude. And and they're not wrong. And, and, And Vrabel deserves a lot of credit for that. I'll be the first to admit that when I was seeing all these like predictions that we were going to go 12 and four, 13 and three, stuff like that. I was like, I don't know about that. I was kind of throwing cold water on it just because I thought we still had a couple of holes that we kind of left unresolved even before the clowny sign, even after the clowny signing. They do. Um, And they kind of still do. Yeah. Like the defense, we're going to talk about it. It's, it's really bad, but the offensive output has completely carried over from what was a, a historic pace last year. And when you have an offense like this, as we've seen in the past, we saw it with the Chiefs two years ago when Mahomes threw 49 touchdowns or whatever it was. Uh, we saw it with the Broncos and Peyton Manning when he threw 50. We saw with Lamar Jackson last year and the Ravens that were just crushing everyone. When you have an offense like this, your margin for error is just, it, it grows, you know, because you have you can make up the points if the other units on your team aren't uh, aren't up to par. And that's exactly what we've seen in, in in various games already this year. And the Titans have talent on defense. If the defense just improves a little bit, this is a team that should beat anyone. Like, no team should beat them as long as the offense keeps us up, which I believe it will, because even in some of the games this year, they've left plays on the field. And they're still putting up 30-plus points uh, per game, 40, the past two weeks uh, against not great defenses, but not, they're not terrible defenses. They're defenses that have that have decent players. So it's just, it's just incredible to see a Titans team 
with this kind of offense that just continues to chug along. Granted, they are going to get their toughest test this coming week against the Steelers. Yeah, I mean, something that I think we don't talk about enough is you hear every coach in the league talk about next man up and all that kind of stuff, but the Titans actually do that. You know, we've seen the roster get completely depleted by the COVID stuff, and we've seen guys get injured and all that, and truly the next guy slots in and there's not a big drop-off. Now, part of that's because the offense is really well-coached and well-schemed and the stars are there and the defense allows everybody to score no matter who's on the field. So it's not like they, you know, I wouldn't expect much of a drop-off, but, you know, Nick Westbrook-Akeen has been in there for a significant number of snaps and so is Bats and so is Raymond and they're still managing to be one of the best teams in the NFL. So, you know, I think that's a testament to the head coach more than anything is that for whatever reason, this roster actually believes that if, if your number's called, you just go. Now, it, it's time to get into a little bit of negatives. Well, actually, I do want to say one more positive. Uh, we, we could talk about Tannehill all day. He's been outstanding. A lot of that doesn't need to be said, right? If you've watched the games, you know that Tannehill has been great. We could sit here and gloat about him all day, but we don't want to waste your time because you've seen plenty of that. All of it true. Uh, but we need to talk about Derrick Henry, guys, because he's been someone that we've been very critical of, and I think it's been deserved criticism. This is not a moment where someone could look at what we said and say, ha-ha, see, you were wrong. I-, I don't think we were declaring him to be toast or that it was over. We were just saying he hadn't looked like himself. And what we saw on Sunday against the Texans was vintage Derrick Henry, the guy that takes games over. Vrabel said as much in his post-game press conference. Someone said, what do you think of Derrick's performance? He said, I think we saw someone just take over a game, and, and that's absolutely what Derrick Henry did. And the reality is the Titans don't need 250 scrimmage yards from Derrick Henry every week, and he's not going to give you that every week. What they do need is one or two explosive plays. We talked about on last week's episode, up until this game against the Texans, Henry's longest run of the season was 16 yards. And that is not a Derrick Henry stat that we're used to. And so, you know, we kept asking, reporters kept asking, Henry and Arthur Smith, when are the long runs going to come? And Arthur Smith said, you know, I think as we just keep pounding it and keep working, they're going to come eventually. And, And Henry essentially said the same thing. And I asked about, you know, running into eight-man boxes, and if that's affected anything, and his response to that was, look, we, we're going to run into eight-man boxes. we got to be better than the guy in front of us. That's what it comes down to. We finally saw all of that pay off, and again, the Titans' offense was just fine without Derrick Henry doing that stuff because of how well Tannehill's played, but when you have both, when you have Tannehill playing as well as he is in sync with his weapons, they're getting Corey Davis back this week, and you have those long runs from Henry where you have to keep that extra attention on him, that's when this offense goes from really good and scores a lot of points to, oh my gosh, how in the world can we stop them? And that's the level they are right now, which, as you're saying, as you said, Will, is a completely foreign concept to Titans fans. I feel like at times we may seem like the Derrick Henry uh, hate club. It's it's not true. All we do is react to what we see. And I think anyone with eyes could have seen that the first two weeks of the season, 
Henry didn't look like himself. He wasn't breaking as many tackles. He, he, you know, he was getting tackled on first con- contact. He was kind of slow. He looked good in the Vikings game. He looked, he was solid. He was probably one of our best players. Then the Bills game came around, and he couldn't do anything. Like he, he couldn't do anything. Granted, there weren't too many holes to run through, but the Bills defense isn't exactly stout. I mean, uh, Edwards Elaire just ran for 160 yards on them. Uh, two days ago, uh, yesterday, sorry, because it was a Monday night game. So to see Henry sh- struggle that much against the Bills, I mean, he averaged three yards to carry. He he was he was he was bad. He was bad. I, I don't know who anyone who watched that game could say differently. But in this game against the Texans, he looked like the best player in the NFL, and he's he's prone to this. He does have a couple of of off weeks. You know, it's it, it happens. It, it's just, it's impossible to be. Every single week, you know, the best player on the field. It's really hard. That's why no one can really do it uh, outside of maybe, you know, a quarterback because they just control the whole game. But this type of Derrick Henry, this is this is the playoff run, Henry. This is the Derrick Henry we've seen uh, in the latter half of the season for the past two years that carries the offense. And last year carried us to, you know, one win away from the Super Bowl. And when he turns it on like this, it is... You, you, the offense can't be stopped because not only can you not stop Derrick Henry, he demands so much attention and he forces you to, you know, sacrifice other parts of of the field because you have to focus on on stopping him, even though you can't. But it opens up everything for 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 the other players uh, on the field, especially in the play action passing game, which the Titans are so so good at is honestly amazing like the Titans don't run a very complex offense it's run the ball with Henry either up the middle or you know on stretch plays to to the outside something like that run play action make it seem like you may give Derrick Henry the ball and then just beat teams on on short routes they're not even really thrown deep all that often uh when they did you know it got intercepted (laughs) to leave frame that's another that's another story but like this isn't hard this isn't football shouldn't be that hard and Arthur Smith is making it very easy uh, to put up points with this basic offense. Well, and I do want to yeah. briefly interject. Sorry, sorry. Well, I do just want to say this real quick. You do have in the NFL offensive geniuses and gurus like a McVay, like a Shanahan, who actually are that. But when you don't have one of the geniuses, you just need someone that's not going to be an idiot. And for years, the Titans had people that were idiots. I mean, I hate to use that word, but... In term, not maybe they weren't idiots as people, but the play calls were just logic defying. You just need someone who's going to put you in the, a, a favorable position to make plays, and that's what Arthur Smith does. Yeah, and and I don't want to try to reinvent the wheel here with Derrick Henry. We kind of all know what he is, and we all know our stance at this point is historically he's been a slow starter, and there's seemingly one big run from him every year that really flips that switch last year it was the for me at least it was the run against uh the chiefs in week 10 where he broke it and it was like 50 plus yard run and then ever you know after that it seemed like whether it was the play calls or the line or him or whatever everything clicked in place and before that it was the Jacksonville game in December when he really took over and the good news is is that's trending backwards so what I mean is, you know, I think it was like week 13 
the the first time he really went off and you know had that monster December, and then it was Week Ten last year versus Kansas City, and now it's Week Six versus the Texans. Like, I, I don't think we'll ever get a full season where he's absolutely dominant. But if you get him dominant for the next eleven weeks of the season, uh, I, I, I again I don't I don't want to put the cart before the horse here and just say that he'll break all these records, but. I mean, he's already what at like almost 600 yards. If he had 588 yards rushing, like in five games, that's what I'm. I'll do the quick math. So that's nearly 2,000 yards rushing. So, and that's with four pretty mediocre games under his belt. So, I mean, this is the earliest we've seen Henry break out. So, if if this keeps happening, great. If not, it's fine for him to just be a really good to above average running back with the rest of the offense working the way it is. But Staying on the positivity note, it's a very good sign for this team that he's found his rhythm early in the season, but it hasn't really caused any problems for the offense that he hasn't been incredibly effective until this last week. Now let's take a step into the negatives, because as we've been talking about the positives and the good about this team It's been entirely on the offensive side of the ball, and that's not a coincidence, guys, because this defense stinks. I don't really know of another way to put it. Uh, Will, give us that stat about um, they're on pace to put up how many more points than last year? Well, it's it's the 2018 defense. So the 2018 defense was the Dean Pease year one season where I think Casey had like seven sacks, and they were great. They allowed uh, just at 300 points. This team is on pace to allow 403 points, I believe, which is a full 100 points more than they did, you know, 24 months ago. And, and you know, after like week one or week two, we had Titans film room on and we asked the question, you know, what do you think's wrong with this defense? And, and you know, even when he went off, we sat around and, our, you know, I think it's the pass rush. Well, I think it's the, like we're to the point now where it's like everything's the problem. It's all bad. It's not like, well, once they get some pressure, everything else will be better. Because it, the pressure doesn't matter when you're playing 15 yards off coverage on every play. Now, that's an exaggeration. They're not playing 15 yards off coverage, but pretty darn close. I mean, Jonathan Joseph and Malcolm Butler were frequently playing very far off the line of scrimmage, and it got to the point where the CBS commentators were, were poking at it and saying, what in the world are, are they doing? Like, I mean, it's easy, and so that, that's the problem. I mean, they're, yeah, they were facing fast receivers, Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller, but when you play that far off, they just beat you to death with crossers. Like, Deshaun, you know, I know the 10-yard off thing worked against Josh Allen because they wanted him to throw the ball a lot and eventually make mistakes, but Deshaun Watson's not Josh Allen. Like, he'll, if you're just going to give him crossers, he'll take that all day long, which he did. Until they had the collapse where Will Fuller had a 53-yard touchdown. I feel like I'm kind of rambling at this point. All that to say, there's a lot wrong with this defense. Sort of similar to how last year there was a lot wrong with the offense. And we sat here saying, you know, it's not just one thing and one change isn't going to fix it. Which, Which didn't happen. Yeah, a lot got better when Ryan Tannehill went in. But I'm not convinced that Ryan Tannehill being more decisive made... Taylor LeJuan learned how to stop committing penalties or learned Roger Saffold, you're taught Roger Saffold how to pick up a stunt. Like, everyone got better. That's what this defense is in need of. It's not like a, should they make a trade to bring in, like, 
everything has to be better at every level, including Kevin Byard, which is so bizarre to be saying. Yeah, I'd like to apologize first and foremost to Dean Pease for ever saying anything negative about him because yeah. this defense looks looks horrendous. They just look so bad. They look poorly coached. They look like they don't have talent, which is not true. They do have talent. It's out there, but they look like it. They can't really tackle well. They don't cover well. They don't fit the run well. What do they do? They don't pressure the passer. They don't do they don't do anything anything well. Like name me one thing that you've noticed so far this year that you say, "Oh, the Titans defense is good at that." They don't really commit penalties. Penalties? They yeah. don't. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say that. They're not close. That's legit. But you, you know to... why they don't commit penalties? Yeah. Cuz they don't get yeah, their hands on anybody. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Which is uh... crazy. It's crazy because we came into this we came into this year thinking with Clowney, this was gonna be a top five unit because this was a top ten, top twelve uh unit last year for the duration of, of most of the season. They were well coached, they didn't give up huge plays. Uh well sometimes they did. The cornerbacks, you know, sometimes got burned every now and then, but that happens in the NFL. But they're not even really getting burned this year. They're just giving up chunk gain after chunk gain, and teams are just moving the chains all over the field, whether it be through rushing, passing, quarterback scrambling. It, it, it doesn't even matter. They're just getting they're getting gashed every which way, and they've made no adjustments. Like, they were good in the Bills game, but I think the Bills kind of helped them out with a couple of drops, and also the Bills cannot run the ball for, for, for their lives. So uh, I think they got a little... They got a little help there, but it, I don't know. I, I I just I don't know where to find a bright side. I don't think there is one unless they make a change at uh, quote unquote defensive coordinator, which we still don't know who but, it is. But is it? I mean, honestly, when you look at this team on defense, I I think on off. This is just my opinion. I may be wrong. I think on offense, it's easier to look at a bad offense that might have some talent and be like. Man, if this coordinator would just stop getting out of his own way, they would be okay. But I don't look at this defense. I mean, I can't think of one time other than maybe like you know the three man blitz on or the three man rush on third down, which is we all know Dean Pease did plenty of. Other than the occasional one of those, I don't really find myself looking at the defense and being like, "What man? What a terrible call!" Like I just think it's the players aren't doing their jobs. I mean, as much as as easy as this would be to just say this is a, a Shane Bowen or a Mike Vrabel problem, whoever you believe is actually the mastermind behind all of this, I think it's just a player problem. Yeah, but that you also don't believe that because alignment, like where the corners line up in relation to the wide receiver, is not based on where the corner wants to play. It's based on the play call. So if they're playing ten yards off coverage on third and eight, it's because the defensive coordinator is telling them to. And that and that's like, a good that's a it, good point, Will, because I would that that is one of my bones to pick with this defense is the off coverage. Well, and but I mean, it's just I, I just don't I don't have any faith in, faith in this defense. So I'm I'm going to kind of try to keep it brief because I can ramble on about. But I think it comes from the top down, and it's a mismanagement of the talent that they do have because we've seen a lot of these players be good. 
I mean, we've seen Malcolm Butler play really well last year. We've seen Kevin Byard play his whole career well. We've seen Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown play really well. We've seen, I mean, thank goodness they haven't ruined Jeffrey Simmons yet, but we've seen Simmons play really well and he's continued to play well. Harold Landry plays well when they play him at edge and don't play him at off ball linebacker. Like, but this year, everybody on that defense has taken a step backwards. That nobody has improved from last year, and they're almost always out of position. Do it. Except 98. He's better. Yeah, 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 because he's two years removed from ACL. So, like, they almost accidentally got him better just because, well, I don't think we realized how good he could be last year. So, yeah, like, that's a major problem. Like, and I think when you look at this team, you can't say, well, all of those good players are bad. But they're definitely all confused, and whoever's calling the defense, whoever's doing any of that, needs a new job because not 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 fire Mike Vrabel, nothing like that. But just they need to understand that what they're doing now is not working. You're not 32nd in the NFL in third third down defense by accident through five games. I mean, it's just a consistent poor effort, poor execution, poor understanding of what you sh- should be doing. So. Yeah. That ahead. is a major problem. Yeah. And, and what? What, I would, what I would say is, you know, I made, I made the analogy of comparing this year's defense to, to last season's first half offense. And if you remember, we've talked about this plenty of times, not necessarily on the show, but just amongst the three of us. Everything kind of changed after that Carolina stinker. Like things were pretty good when Tannehill first came in. But then they kind of got bad again when they played the when the Titans played the Panthers. I mean, penalties, bad play calls, you know, you name it, it happened in that game. And it took that disaster performance where credit to Paul Koharski, one of the best uh, columns that I read all of last year was his that he wrote after the game, and and the title was Mike Vrabel needs to take the defibrillators to this team, and I, and I worry and think it might be a possibility that the Titans are in a position where it's going to take a disaster for them to, I don't know if you heard, I just snapped in front of my microphone, for them to like snap things back into the way they need to be. I think it's going to take a, you know, it, it could be Ben Roethlisberger this week, and we'll, we'll certainly talk about that before the end of this episode. But at some point, some really good quarterback, maybe Lamar Jackson is the one who does it, is going to rip them to shreds and they're going to have to have a come-to-Jesus moment because I think right now it's pretty easy because they're winning to say, yeah, you know, we're not very good on defense, but we're winning games. We just got to go back to the film because that's what they keep telling the media. We just got to go back to the film and and we know, you know, Javion Clowney with that nonsense about, well, we fly the ball and we, you know, I, I'm worried it's going to take something bad happening for them to snap into shape. Yeah, I mean, until they lose, probably, because you know, uh, winning is like is like you know deodorant over the over the defense. Oh yeah, yeah. Even though they're giving up thirty six points, thirty points to the Vikings, thirty points to the Jaguars. I mean, those are, these aren't like high octane offenses. The Texans have struggled most of the year. And that's the thing. Like Deshaun Watson's the best quarterback they've played so far. And he's having a very, very average season for a quarterback. Yeah, no, no, without a doubt. And, and Cousins looks like one of the worst quarterbacks 
in the league. And, you know, the other thing is, like, these offenses against the Titans aren't getting these yards and these points in garbage time. Like, they are consistently scoring throughout the game. So this isn't a situation where the offense is getting... Yeah, I know. I know, because the offense... Um, scores a lot, but it's not like the Titans are getting ahead three touchdowns and then, you know, they let up on defense and start playing loose, start playing prevent, and then these offenses, you know, just just start racking up the yards and the points against them. I don't think that's what's happening. I mean, these offenses are consistently getting yardage. And, yeah, like you said, I, I don't think anything is going to change all year, to be honest with you. But I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so because I don't think they're going to lose very many games. And when you win 11 games, you win 12 games, you know, every everything is fine. Everything is copacetic until, you know, when the playoffs finally, that that flaw comes back to haunt you. It, it, it happens to, to, to a lot of teams every single season. I hope it doesn't happen to the Titans, but I, I just don't I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel for the defensive unit on this team. And I, and I don't really know how much worse it can get than what they did last week. They got Deshaun Watson had more pass attempts than he's had at any point this year. He got sacked twice, which he's averaging getting sacked like three and a half times a game. There was the first time all season that the Texans offense didn't have a turnover. Like you, you can't really get much worse than allowing them to score whenever they wanted. You know, the defense never snapped together and made a big stop. They just ran out of time and were lucky and got a coin flip. So it can't really get much worse from a defensive perspective than what happened to you last week. So, I mean, sure, Lamar Jackson could come in and torch him and put up 600 yards of total offense, but it'll look pretty much like what we just saw. Like, I, I don't know, this this defense is bad. If they need it to get much worse than this, I mean, uh, first of all, I'm not sure how much worse it can get than this when it's just a defensive issue. But if they need that, that's a problem with – the players, the locker room, and I don't think it—I don't think that's what it is. I think it's just they kind of are what they are because, the, like you said, the record tells them they're fine. But if we're waiting for some big performance for somebody to light them up, we just saw it. Here's here's what concerns me: um, how many teams have we seen over the past decade, or whatever, that have like a record-breaking offense, like a, an amazing offense? And they don't end up winning the Super Bowl. I feel like it happens every year. Where oh, it does. Like and it and happened I, with the Chiefs two years ago. They lost. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say. I mean, I'm a firm believer in the defenses defense wins championships mantra. I was honestly shocked when Kansas City won this past year, because like you said, I mean, we saw it with Sean McVay's Rams, the the Falcons, and the twenty eight to three game. Even back to, I mean, it, it, you have to go back to like the greatest show on turf to find like that super good offense that carries the team. Yeah, but even the Chiefs, even the Chiefs have like a decently schemed defense. Like they're they've been one of the more underrated defenses this year, and, and they were last year in the playoffs. I mean, they held the Niners to. Uh, they really didn't do much after Mostert had like four rushing touchdowns. Uh, in the NFC Championship game, like, like the Chiefs are a, a well-coached team, and they have good players on defense, uh, and that's why they ended up winning the Super Bowl last year. The year before that, they didn't win it because their defense was was a sieve. Everyone was just throwing all over them, 
uh, and then they ended up losing to the Patriots. So I- I'm scared that that's going to be the Titans' fate unless they get this corrected. Maybe I'm wrong because this season has been absurd in terms of scoring. Like this has been one of the most uh, I don't even know how to say it. Like one of the seasons with the most points scored ever, I think. So, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the offense will be able to carry them um, to that final game. But I, I think it's too early to tell. Uh, but I would be concerned if the defense doesn't get better in, in some capacity. Well, and I think, Matias, by bringing up the Chiefs, you make a good point in that you don't have to be the 2016 Denver Broncos or the 2000 Ravens. You just need a defense that isn't a liability and, I don't know, maybe can get pressure on the other quarterback, something that they're not getting close to doing unless it's coming from Jeffrey Simmons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Chiefs last year, they got pressure pretty consistently uh, with Chris Jones and Frank Clark, and they also, you know, disguise blitzes and stuff like that. So the Titans just aren't doing any of that. That that's what that's why I'm worried. Like they're where are all like the designed blitzes, the delayed blitzes, like that that we had with Logan Ryan and Jayon Brown for the past couple of seasons. That I feel like we haven't seen that at all. Well, the problem is they do them, but they drop people off the line. Like they, like we've talked about a million times before, is they drop Landry and they drop they dropped Daquan Jones uh, this past week and he was spying Deshaun Watson. I think Deshaun Watson just like ran it for an easy third down conversion. Like it, it's just Mike Vrabel's only called de- okay Shane Bowen has never called defense and Mike Vrabel's only called it for one year I believe because he went from linebackers coach to linebackers coach to DC for a year to head coach. So he's not experienced like neither one of the guys making the play calls has any experience doing it except for Rabel when he had the worst defense in the league so you know that that's a bad sign um so like the the things they are doing aren't working because it comes from a place of inexperience and a lack of understanding but the the one thing I keep coming back to is if you're Mike Vrabel you've got to be thinking right now I wonder if I can get Kerry Coombs to come back and coach our defense next year. Like, because there's just such a giant drop off in how the defensive backs play. And if, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with the college football season. Like there's still a long way to go. There's a bunch of hurdles to clear all that kind of stuff. But after this year, you have to be, you know, just begging him to come back and throwing money at him because we all know how this coaching staff is with people they know and, you know, how much they, appreciate those connections and i can't think of anybody else who could come back who would help this team as much as he would i mean you make a good point will because in years past you know we're used to the the mmcnb t-shirts and and and, i mean i hate to use this word because it's so unanalytical but it's the best word they had swag like it was a unit that had swag like they they were intimidating to to opponents and and there's been none of that this year and i think it's probably unfair to pin all of that on you know Coombs leaving and Anthony Midget coming in because I think Logan Ryan leaving probably has a lot to do with that I think the fact that Adoree Jackson has yet to play uh has a lot to do with that um and so you know I I don't know I mean but the secondary like you said it's a problem and and when Kevin Byard who's one of the you know I would say top you know, 15 or 20 players in the NFL 
when he's not playing well, you know something is wrong. And it's not even like he's playing bad. He's just invisible. Yeah. Yeah. Vakar also. Like, like there's no yeah. there's no player standing out at all. It's like they got too and close if they're to making standing big out, plays it's, early. It's an inevitable win. Yeah, it's like they made big plays early in the year and Vrabel had to rein them in because they were too visible. What's, what's wild to me What's wild to me is the inside linebackers. They are getting washed on every single play. They are never in position to make tackles when when receivers or tight ends uh, come across the middle of the field. They don't cover well. They don't you know run fit well. I don't know what happened there because Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown was one of the best inside linebacker duos for the past two seasons, and they look like they look like backups right now. It's it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, they're, it's it's very difficult because in my head, I know that I've seen them be good, but it's been so long since I've seen them play well that I just have no faith in them. I mean, they just get – it's gotten to the point where Rashawn Evans has started to get pulled off the field more and more and more. Like, they don't want him rushing the passer because he's not getting there. They don't really want him in coverage because he can't do it. And they've started to go to that more six defensive back package instead of uh, two linebackers on the field. And it's, I mean, he's the guy coming out. And this is the guy that last year it looked like he was going to be, it was going to be him, Simmons, and uh, Byard as like the pillar down the middle of this defense that made them great. And I mean, now they're begging him to come off the field. So, I, I mean, I just, I don't know what happened in one year when, the defensive coordinators turned in, you know, you had either a linebackers coach or the former, like the former linebackers coach slash whatever Brable did, and they just can't get anything done there. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the inside linebackers. Will, you just brought up Rashawn Evans, because that's one, that's the position I think that we have, as we've kind of talked about this throughout the week amongst ourselves, been perhaps the most critical of, uh, so we're going to talk about them in just a minute. Uh, we're going to have a quick uh, ad break before that so that you can hear from some of our friends who help us help you on this show. So we're going to take a quick 30-second break. When we get back, we're going to break down what I think maybe all three of us would argue is the worst position group on this Titans team. Okay, guys, thanks for sticking with us. We're going to talk now about the Titans inside linebackers. And, Will, I want to give you the lead on this one because this has sort of been your uh, bone to pick with this team. You've talked a lot about them. You've talked about uh, how Rashawn Evans has not been good. Jayon Brown has not been good. What's happening there? Because you mentioned that on film it's, it's even worse than you would expect having watched the games live. Well, there's one thing that Rashawn Evans has always really done well, and that's he's aggressive almost to the point of being over-aggressive, which is if he's close to a pile, like even back to his Alabama days, I, I had written down on a scouting report that, you know, there's no free rides. So a lot of times you'll see linebackers just kind of shove a pile like to the ground or, you know, there'll be two guys making a tackle and they just kind of like gently walk up to it and kind of help everybody up. But in college and really in the first two years of the NFL, he would fly around and he would make sure you knew he was there. Now 
he doesn't even like, I'm not sure he ever leaves the tackle box. Like he doesn't look like he has any range. He gets lost in the trash all the time. There's always guards up around him. Like, and it's not that the guards are faster now. It's that he doesn't even take the right steps. He just stays flat footed and tries to read what's going on. And this is not like the Texans did a lot of jet motion. It really threw him off. It's, He's looking at a pulling guard and is frozen to the ground. And I don't know what's wrong with him. Like, no matter what happens, they're just playing zone defense. Like, at the very least, backpedal, move forward, be wrong, but don't stay still. Like, and all he's doing is, you know, just he's just not there. And I don't know if it's he's processing stuff too quick. I don't know if he's kind of in this one of those situations where he's like, I need to make a big play because I haven't made a play. So I need to make sure I can read this perfectly and do, I, I don't know what it is, but he just looks, I, I don't know. He looks lost. And then Jayon Brown is not in bad position or anything. Like there, there's times where he like will be in and he'll be behind and trailing and he'll help knock a ball away or he'll be in on a wide receiver screen where he makes a tackle and that it gets stopped for a one yard loss or a tackle for loss. But then there'll be three and a half quarters where you can't even tell if he's on the field, if you're not looking for him because he won't be around the play. And the whole thing with Vrabel whenever, or, or yeah, it's Vrabel who hires the coaches. We know that. Um, Anytime he's made a hire, it's been because, like we said, he's he understands what that person wants to do or there's continuity involved or some of those words are mixed together to get kind of the same result. It's it's supposed to be an ease of transition kind of thing. But somehow, despite both of the coaches who are calling the defense being on the same roster last year, they just have no feel for how to use these guys. There's no like there's no familiarity from the players with the scheme. It's it's very, very weird. And, you know, they just look non-existent. Like if you told if you told me to pick like like you said in the kind of the lead into this, if you told me to pick out the worst position on the field, it's not defensive back. You know, the defensive backs will occasionally make a play like Christian Fulton's had a sack and an interception. Malcolm Butler had two interceptions like. That they exist. I've seen them. I I cannot tell you. There there was one play on the goal line versus Houston where Rashawn Evans fired and ma- made a tackle for loss, and people won't remember it because there was like immediately a touchdown right after. But other than that play, there's no big play that any of those guys have made all season long. And I mean they they just aren't involved in the game plan. And like I said, it's gotten to the point where they don't want Rashawn Evans on the field and key downs. And with Jalen Brown as a free agent after this year, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if this team's committed to either one of them long-term at this point. And I think what's so hard to swallow when you hit on this is how good they were last year. I mean, we're we're not far removed from that position being a highlight. I mean, you can go back and listen to, I guess it was the episode we did right before the season started where we were going through, you know, who do you think is going to do this and that, and, and the question came up, who's going to have a breakout season, and my choice was Rashad Evans. 
And boy, was I wrong. I mean, he's regressed, which is just so weird. Well, this is why this this is why when when you don't want to blame it on on the coaching and the and the scheme, this this is like exhibit A why it has to be the coaching staff for for the defense playing so poorly because these players have shown to begin the past. They're not old. Only Malcolm Butler is is you know thirty thirty one whatever he is. Jalen Brown's young. Rashawn Evans is young. Kevin Byard's young. These players shouldn't be Clowney's young. These players shouldn't be playing as poorly as they are. And the common denominator is is the defensive coordinator, whoever that may be. And there's no effort. Like the you know, I, I don't like to criticize people's effort a lot just because, you know, you don't know how banged up they are and all that kind of stuff, but consistently throughout the year, Harold Landry plays with effort, Simmons and Daquan Jones play with effort. Malcolm Butler plays with effort and that's Vaccaro. And that that's about all that I've actually like witnessed with my eyes this year. Like I know Byard wants to be out there. I know he wants to make plays, but I've seen the ball hit his hand several times and he hadn't come down like plays he should have picked or plays where in the past should have made a really impressive play. Like I've seen him make those plays before it's and it's working, and then it seems like he gets beaten coverage, and he just kind of doesn't really care. Like he'll get it'll be third and eight, and they'll get a twelve yard conversion on an out route to a tight end, and he just kind of walks back. And I don't know if it's frustration with the scheme or if it's frustration with how they're playing or whatever, but it, it's just a lot of it. Just looks like a lack of effort. I mean, it looks like they know at this point that they're almost convinced that they're not going to be a good defense, and you know, that not that they're not going to try at all, but like if it doesn't come easy, they're not really excited about playing. So, I mean, it's it's hard to watch because, like I said earlier, two years ago, this team was defined by defense. And last year, even though the results were a little bit in terms of points allowed, they still made plays like but now it's just like they're they're there. Technically, there's 11 guys on the field, but you wouldn't know it if you had a heat map of, you know, who was making the actual plays. We, we've said a lot about this defense, guys. Will, Will, you made the comment before we started recording. You, what did you say the strategy is for this defense overall? Oh, the uh, the the name, like the methodology behind this defense is please drop the ball, other team. Because yeah. <laughs> that's the only time they get into like that they, they get off the field on third downs is when Josh Allen throws the ball too hard and it bounces off somebody's hands. Yeah, like that's that's the entire strategy. We do need to mention before we get to uh, stop the nonsense as we wrap up. Actually, we haven't even talked about the Steelers yet, so I guess we need to do that too. Do want to quickly mention? I don't know. There's a whole lot of analysis to do on it. Taylor Lewan out for the year with an ACL tear. His replacement is all but. Like all but certainly going to be Ty Sambrilo. And there have been reporters throwing out, like, what if they move Kelly to left tackle? What if they play Isaiah Wilson at right tackle? But as we were discussing the other day, and I'm planning on writing this on Wednesday, the solution to this should be easy. It's you play Sambrilo at left tackle, and if he stinks, maybe you give Isaiah Wilson a chance. But change as little as possible. And, Will, you made the point, and I'll let you defend this, I mean, maybe defend's not the right word because I agree with you, but explain what you mean. 
you don't when you have a big injury like Taylor Lewan tearing his ACL, you don't want to then go and on purpose make other positions worse too. Yeah, and this this is actually going to be part of my stop the nonsense, but I'll just I'll just kind of let it out now. Bettingfield talked about uh, today, Blake Bettingfield on the midday one eighty friend of the show, uh, friend of, <laughs> friend of the stop the nonsense segment. That's for sure. Yeah, frequent visitor to the stop the nonsense. Uh, so he talked earlier today, and I thought it was the most asinine thing to say, and nobody followed up with it, but. He said today that what the Titans are going to have to do is put Dennis Kelly over to left tackle, uh, start Isaiah Wilson sooner rather than later because they can't get through with Sambralo. But first of all, like I said on Twitter, Ty Sambralo's played more snaps over the last three weeks than Taylor Lewan has at left tackle. He's so, also had also, one bat. I'm sorry. Go ahead, yeah. Will. Yeah, so – let me real, say real quick, I am very sad about Taylor Lewan being injured. That there, yes. There's few players, maybe no players on the team that I like more than Taylor Lewan. So that's that does suck for me. But, uh, yeah, so everybody's quick to say, and then I'll, I'll kind of say what you were going to say, Luke, is that everybody's quick to say, well, you moved Dennis Kelly over because he's been good at right tackle, so he'll be good at left tackle. But people are real quick to forget when he got beaten by Yannick Ngakwe and Tannehill got strip-sacked, almost identical to how Tannehill got strip-sacked the same play after Luan got hurt last year. So it's not like – I mean, most people don't know that Ty Sabrello has played a big chunk of the last three games and most of the season – because they just don't really pay attention to left tackle other than is Taylor Lewan back in yet? Is he, you know, is in now? Like they don't really judge how the positions played when he's not in. Sam Brawler has been fine. So Bettingfield came on and said, you've got to switch. You've got to make the switches I've said. And he also said, which is a shame because you can tell that Nate Davis is getting better by playing with Dennis Kelly. But there's no logic behind what he says other than I've seen that guy do that before. I think they should do that. It, it's it's bad logic that doesn't make any sense. You don't – first of all, the zone scheme is very based on – it's very much a chemistry-based offense because you have to know, okay, this guy's in a five-tech outside shoulder, the offensive tackle. It's like if you're the offensive tackle, you've got to know how much help your guard needs before you can go to the second level – and if y'all miss time that you've just got a defensive end right in Derrick Henry's face. And that that takes a long time to really understand, like, okay, he's half an inch too far outside. I've got to help more. Or this guy's better than the guy we played last week. I need to make sure we really seal this. Or I need to tell him to just go to the second level because I'm the only one who's going to be able to take him where he is. Like, so that's something that's going to have to change regardless of what happens when with Taylor Lewan out. But Sambralo and Saffold already have chemistry because they play together. Saffold and Jones have chemistry. Jones and Davis have chemistry. Davis and Kelly have chemistry. If you make this massive shift that you're talking about, you hurt four positions on the field. You hurt left tackle, left guard, right tackle, right guard. Because all, all from a chemistry standpoint and because you're making this move. Because on paper, this one guy has done this one thing before and I've seen it. So I, I hate that logic. It doesn't make any sense. You go ahead with Sam Brillo, and until 
you know, until you're not one of the highest scoring offenses in the NFL, which the Titans have been with Sam Brillo in, until that changes, you don't mess with the other four offensive line spots. Yeah, and I think you're right on with that, Will. I do want to, uh, before we get to stop the nonsense, I kind of rushed that a little bit because we got to talk about the Steelers, guys. We've been talking about this defense of the Titans for so long. Uh, This is an important game for the Titans. I don't know that it's important so much in terms of standings because it's looking like the Titans are, barring some disasters against the Colts, going to have a pretty uh, easy path to this division title. However, it's important that this is their first real test. I mean, and they're going to be more good teams on the schedule. They're going to play Baltimore, for example. They're going to play Green Bay in Week 17. But they play talented teams so far this year. I think Buffalo's a good team. I think Houston, though their record is bad, has talent. Uh, I think Minnesota, though their record is bad, has talent. But this is a team that is buttoned up, and they're talented, and their record proves it. Steelers are also 5-0. They've got a future Hall of Famer under center who's playing very, very well coming off of a serious shoulder injury in 2019. And their defense, unlike the Titans, is playing out of this world. It is going to be a really, really tough test for the Titans. And as we start breaking it down, what do you think is the biggest challenge, guys, that this Steelers team presents to the Titans? Well, but before before I answer, I, I think it's an important game for standings also because these two teams, if all if everything keeps going to plan, like they could be fighting for the first seed in the AFC. And given that there's only one bye, I think this year, I think they changed it. Um, like this could be the tiebreaker because head to head is one of the tiebreakers. I don't know if it's the first one. I think the I think conference record it might be the first one or the second one i don't know but head to head to head is definitely one of them so this could be a game that actually ends up deciding whether the steelers or the Titans get a first round buy in the playoffs so it, it could prove to be important but it, it's still early on in terms of the biggest challenge uh i know the steelers defense is is great is it's probably one of the top three units in the entire nfl maybe the best uh, i'm more concerned on the offensive side of the ball for them because I know we've talked about how bad the Titans defense is and I don't want to keep I don't want to keep beating a dead horse but the Steelers just present so many problems uh for a defense because they have so many ways to beat you especially in their wide receiver core uh they have very different differently skilled receivers so they have Juju who mostly plays a slot he's a yak machine he hasn't really gotten it going so far this this season but we've seen what he could do in the past, and all he really needs is uh, to be put in a good position, and he can uh, take any reception the distance uh, with his yak ability. So, yeah, especially given the Titans' uh, tackling woes, that concerns me a little bit. Then you add in Chase Claypool, who has been outstanding the past two, two weeks. He looks like Kenny Galladay Volume 2, just so quick, so strong. Uh, really good at the catch point also, but they're giving him like carries because he's so good after the catch, just like Juju is. And he's so quick. I think he ran like a four, four, three, four, maybe like a four, four in the, 
at the combine is given his size it's just insane then you add in Deontay Johnson who should be back from from injury he's more in the mold of Antonio Brown in terms of being a really good route runner but he could just destroy you in the immediate area then you add James Washington who's that deep burner who has done in the past is really tough to cover because he's so quick and he's really good on deep routes it's just it's a lot to handle and I haven't even gotten into Eric Ebron, the tight end, I don't like him all that much, but, you know, he's athletic. James Conner out of the backfield, Benny Snell out of the backfield. It's just, it's a lot to handle, and given how the Titans defense is played, I don't see how they hold this this Steelers offense to, to under 30 points, which, you know, might be needed in order for them to win. But hopefully Big Ben has one of his stinker games, which he's kind of prone to, uh, although he hasn't played, he hasn't played poorly this year, but... We'll see if he, we'll see if he plays well or not. Yeah, and I'll say this, and it'll say because uh, I'm going to be a little bit more negative in a second, but it, it may sound insane to think about it this way. But the Steelers are coming off a blowout win against the Browns, where it looked like the first time the Browns were going to actually compete with them for like you know a game that mattered in some sort of standing. You know, I think the Browns were on a four game winning streak and they were four and one and the Steelers are obviously undefeated and still are undefeated, but they also have the Ravens next week. So the Titans are in this kind of period where the Steelers and Ravens are the greatest rivalry in the NFL. I think, I think everybody understands that no matter how much you like the bears and the Packers and all that. But I think that there's a chance that they could catch them a little bit underprepared and looking a little bit past the Titans, which Definitely helps. Um, but having said that, I think what's going to get them killed the most is the uh, the Steelers run a lot of like two pulling guard, like pulling guard, two pulling guards, guard and tackle counter. Like they do old school, like we're going to run the ball right at you. And on paper, that seems like it would help the Titans. But what it's going to force the Titans to do is to stay in that two linebacker look and maybe go to that heavy 4-3 look that they use where they put Crawford and Simmons and Daquan Jones and Clowney on the line and back Harold Landry up to off-ball linebacker. And if they do that, you really have to have linebackers who basically aren't afraid to die. Like, you've got to have guys who, as soon as they see that pulling guard go, they've got to really gum down and, like, crash that because one has to basically take on the puller and one has to fill – and if both of your guards or you don't have a guard and or if both of your linebackers and you don't have a linebacker and a safety on that play side, like if they're not all in tandem and understand what their jobs are, it can get really messy. And you don't want the Steelers to be able to also run the ball at you because right now they really don't have a great running game. But if you can kind of take advantage of that and put them in situations where Ben has to throw the ball and he can't just throw it at the line of scrimmage or deep balls to chase Claypool. Like that, that gives you an advantage, even though the Titans defensive backs haven't been anything special this year. But if you can't stop that, it's going to make your life miserable. So I think it's probably going to be a rainy day in Nashville. Uh, So if they're going to stop them, it would really help if they could stop the run. But like, like we've talked about this whole episode, it feels like I just don't know if I trust the Titans linebackers to do that. Yeah, and, and 
is this a game you think they can win? I mean, every game this year – well, I actually take that back because before the Vikings game, I thought they were going to lose. I thought they would lose the Bills game or at least that yeah. it wouldn't be quite as one-sided as it was. But but what do we think? Is this a game that they can win or is this a game where the scenario we talked about earlier happens and and they get exposed? No. No, they could they could definitely win. I mean, I thought they were going to lose against the Bills, to be honest with you. They were shorthanded. The Bills looked like one of the better teams in the league and they came out and stomped them. So, yeah, I mean, this is a good Titans team. I, I'm not expecting them to come in here and just get get destroyed by any means. It might be a close game, and they might end up falling, you know, to like a late touchdown, maybe a late field goal. But, no, I, I think, especially given that they're at home, I think they should probably be favored, all things considered. I mean, we're 5-0. and They're 5-0, and but we're 5-0, and too. And the Steelers, like, they do this all the time. They always kind of... I don't know. They, they, the Mike, their Mike Tomlin teams just seem to always lay down a weird egg at, at the most inopportune times, uh, and it's, it's really weird. And I don't know why it happens, but hopefully this is one of those situations, especially with what Will was saying that they have at Baltimore next next week. You know, that's a huge game. I don't think they're going to look past the Titans by, by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, I think it might play a factor. And also, we have to consider that they haven't been dominant. But before this Browns game, like, the Broncos almost came back on them. They only won that game by five five points. The Texans also, like, hung around for a good amount uh, of the game. And then the Eagles came back from, like, I don't know, was it, like, 20 points down or something like that? So the Steelers are prone to, like, letting teams hang around and we've seen what happens when you let the Titans offense hang around, they can come back and just win the game on you. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Titans end up winning this game. Yeah. And we should also say that this is the first time that they'll have Corey Davis, uh, Derek Henry, AJ Brown, Adam Humphreys, all really firing on all cylinders because in week one, AJ Brown and Corey or AJ Brown and, uh, Derrick Henry really were not major factors in the Broncos game. And since then, we have not seen that whole group together. So, you know, this team isn't impossible to score on. Like you said, the Eagles had basically scraps at wide receiver and they put up 29 points on them and almost, you know, had a chance to win that game until like a late weird call on Eric Ebron. Like he dropped it. He didn't drop it, whatever. Uh, But like you said, like, I mean, they haven't played a murderer's row. They've beaten the Giants, Broncos, where they hurt Brock Osweiler, or with Brock Osweiler, that sucks, uh, where they hurt Drew Locke in the middle of the game, uh, the Houston Texans, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Cleveland Browns. Like, that's not a murderer's row of teams. Like, no team on that list as, is as good as the Bills were. So the more proven team is probably the Titans. The team with the highest upside on offense is probably the Titans. Now, the defense skews wildly towards the Steelers and that's what scares everybody. And, you know, the Steelers are the more balanced team, but the strongest unit in this game. And, you know, these words could come back to bite me just because the Steelers are also really good on offense. But I mean, the Titans offense is probably the most proven and effective group on the field at any point in time. Matthias, you have something you want to say? 
No, go Titans. Okay, I thought you. I thought I heard you <laughs> starting up. I wanted to make sure before I transitioned us into Stop the Nonsense, which is where we're going to end this episode as we always do. If you enjoy this segment and you want to Stop the Nonsense t-shirt, well, then you can easily pick one up by going to our merchandise shop, which you can find at shop.spreadshirt.com slash pod. This is the part of the show where we illuminate nonsense, not just in the sports world, but beyond as well. And, you know, with the elections getting so close on both sides of the aisle, there is uh, plenty of opportunity for nonsense, as I said, both within the sports world and perhaps now more than ever without. Um, for mine, and I'll start, I, I'm sticking in the sports world. Uh, and, and this isn't so much, this could be controversial. People might disagree with me calling this nonsense. But here's my thing. So it was announced on, on Tuesday that the Miami Dolphins, when they return from their bye, which is happening right now, when they return from their bye in a week, uh, Tua Tungavailoa, the rookie who they took in the top five of the NFL draft, is going to be their starting quarterback. This is on the heels of a 24 to nothing win led by veteran quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick, who has started every game for them this season. Now, when this was announced, it was met with a great deal of scorn. The, the general sentiment that I saw as I was scrolling through Twitter was happy for Tua, but man, don't really understand why they're doing this now. Here's why they're doing this now. There's a few reasons. One, it's the bye week, so it's just a, a natural time to make a, a big change like that. My nonsense isn't that people are, are, are confused why they're making a quarterback change after a 24 to nothing win cuz i agree that it, it's surprising it it it, it might not uh, uh be even the best decision what i don't understand and what i am i am pointing my nonsense needle on is the people who are acting like or it's the people who are being duped by Ryan Fitzpatrick we know who this guy is He's played for, what, 17 or 18 years now? We know that this guy is a bridge quarterback who's going to turn the ball over a lot, and every now and then he's going to look really, really good. Y'all remember like a month ago when we were talking in this segment about people asking if he was a Hall of Famer, a tweet that I saw multiple times come across my timeline in that Thursday night game that they won against I don't remember who. Over and over again. I mean, it's it's like, you know, you have a, a, a significant other, whether, you know, it's a boyfriend or girlfriend, who's constantly cheating on you. And they're not even trying to hide it. You can tell that they've been sleeping around and every night they're not home because they're going to dinner with someone else. And, and you just keep saying, but, but, but then they give you a kiss on the cheek, good night. And you're like, man, don't they just love me? That's what this is becoming with Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's stop forgetting who he is. Do you know how many teams have done that? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers did it a couple years ago because he played well. Uh, the, the New York Jets tried to make him their guy by giving him a contract and not drafting anyone. The Bills did it, right? It happens over and over again. We, Not we, not me. I certainly don't. People forget who this guy is. And over and over again, he has proven that once you start counting on him to be your guy and he's no longer just the bridge 
or the backup playing for an injured starter, or in the Jameis Winston case, a suspended starter, that's when things start to go poorly. I give credit to Brian Flores for knowing what he has and what he doesn't have in Ryan Fitzpatrick. And also, the same people saying, well, they need to keep playing Ryan Fitzpatrick, are the same people who are saying what I was saying back in March, that Tua Tungvaloa has a chance to be the left-handed Drew Brees. Come on, guys. This isn't that hard to figure out. We're not talking about some young quarterback that's doing a good job and we're and they're replacing it with a veteran. We're talking about a veteran who we know exactly who he is, more importantly who he is not, that they're replacing with a very promising rookie quarterback in the midst of a tight division race. I'm going to be totally honest. I kind of fell victim to recency bias on this uh, because just because the Dolphins had won three straight, no, three out of four, sorry. And, you know, they're in a very competitive division because AFC East is, you know, really tight right now. That said, we're only three games removed from Fitzpatrick throwing two interceptions against the Seahawks, and he even threw two interceptions this past week against the Jets. So, I don't know. I for, My perspective was mostly, you know, you're 3-3, three and three, you're still in the division race. Why rush Tua, especially coming off of a massive injury? You know, why throw him in there? But if he's fully healthy, might as well, because he, your ceiling is just so much higher with him in there. Plus, you can at least get him some game action before his second year. Another aspect to it, uh, I saw someone mention this on Twitter. They might be trying to see what they have in him because the Texans pick that they have, that the Dolphins have from the Texans, it might end up being a top five pick because the Texans are already one and five. So they might be in line to take a quarterback if, you know, if Tua isn't their guy of the future. So it definitely makes sense when you consider those things. Yeah, like the one thing I don't think I factored in when I initially saw the news uh, is this is like if you're going to make a change for a new quarterback, the bye week is really the only time you can do it and actually trust what you see immediately because you get you get to work on that chemistry and what you're going to game plan specifically for that next week. So if you're going to do it, you kind of have to do it now. And it's not like Fitzpatrick has been revolutionary. The, the Dolphins defense is just really, really good, but he has been good enough where I understand the initial reaction. But if your goal in the, I've said this a million times is Miami's goal this season is to find out what they have in Tua so they can, either better equip him in the draft where they have four picks in the first and second rounds or to where they can move on from him or adjust or adapt or whatever they need to do. But yeah, like if you're going to make a move and play him at all this year, you have to do it now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll go next in uh, my stop the nonsense. So my stop the nonsense is NFL coaches. Oh, yeah, yeah. These guys, man, I honestly, I don't know if they don't understand how numbers work. They don't understand how math works. They're just too old fashioned to change with the times. But some of these guys are just are just incredibly dumb. I don't understand. So one week ago on Sunday Night Football, it's a Vikings for the Seahawks versus Seahawks. Uh, the Vikings score a touchdown. Uh, I don't remember exactly what the score was at the time. Uh, I don't No, Sorry. I don't remember what, h- how much time was left, but anyway, it was a fourth quarter. So the Vikings score, then Mike Zimmer chooses to kick the extra point 
to go up five points. Five points. One of the most arbitrary numbers in terms of leads there is in football. So instead of going for two to make it, you know, a one touchdown game, six points, he goes up five points. On the next drive, uh, they have a fourth and one, right? So they elected to go for it, which I thought was the right decision. They don't get it. What happens? The uh, the Seahawks drive down the field. They win the game. If Mike Zimmer had gone for two and got it on the previous possession, they would have been up six points. Then on the fourth and one, which, by the way, was from like the 10-yard line, all he had to do was kick the field goal. It would have been a two-possession game. It would have been nine points. And they won the game because the clock would have expired as soon as the Seahawks would have scored the touchdown. But no, he had to go up five points and then ended up costing his team the game. Fast forward one week to yesterday night, Chiefs-Bills game. So the Chiefs are up 23-10. to 10. With nine minutes left in the game, the Bills get the ball. They drive down the field. They score a touchdown. They make it 23-16. to 16. If they were to go for two and convert it, it would be 23-18, to 18, a five-point game. Therefore, if you do that on the next possession, because the Chiefs were getting the ball back with six minutes, they were they couldn't stop. The Bills could not stop the Chiefs on offense. They could not stop the running game. So you would probably assume that the Chiefs are going to get a lot of yardage, but you might be able to stop them in field goal range. They do stop them in field goal range, you know. So the Chiefs get three points. The problem is the Bills didn't go for two. They kicked the extra point. So they went up 23 to 17. The Chiefs get the ball back. They get the field goal. And that makes it a nine, nine point game. If the Bills would have gone for two, it would have been an eight point game, a one score game. And they would have given themselves a chance to actually tie the game on the following possession with two minutes left. But no, Sean McDermott decided it was smart to kick the extra point and not even give his his team a chance to drive down the field in a one score game and maybe tie the game with a touchdown and a two-point conversion. It's really not that difficult, although I made it difficult because I am terrible with numbers and I almost uh, threw the whole thing off. But but these are NFL coaches, and they should be able to know what to do. Like you saw Mike Vrabel this past week, uh, two days ago. He makes one of the smartest plays you could possibly make by taking that penalty with 12 men on the field, preserving time. And if he hadn't done that— the Titans wouldn't have won the game. Like, it's like you, this, it's like you, that you hear all you hear all the time. Like a fifth grader on Madden could have figured that out, and it's true. And it's because the biggest plague of coaching in in really any sport, but I think football more than any other, is overthinking easy things. Yeah. Also, yeah, go for I, two on every uh, every extra point. I I will be honest with how frequently these extra points are getting missed nowadays. Uh, and maybe it's just because I've seen the Titans offense. I, I'm almost in favor of like go for it on, you know, every two point conversion and then fourth down pretty much always go for it. But I like Brett Kern too much. By the way, I don't um, want to get in a tangent on this. Four, by the way. Who? Bucker has missed four wow. extra points this year. It's crazy. I don't want to get in a tangent on this, but I, I don't fault Romeo Cornell for going for two and they were up by seven. I thought that was the no, right choice. That was the win, right. That was the right call. Win the game on one play, right? Without a doubt. Yeah, I would have done the same yeah. thing. Both both teams should have done the exact same thing because nobody was stopping anybody in that game. Like I don't care what the numbers say, like what they don't say, like it, or even logic. It's like you have to believe in momentum and 
they were just get it, both teams were just getting toasted. Yeah. All right, Will, take it away. Yeah. Uh, so my stop the nonsense is uh, the NFL's playoff process. So I think we all know the NFC East is maybe the worst division in NFL in history. Uh, they have a combined five eighteen and one record through six weeks. So as a collective, the the Cowboys, Eagles, Washington football team, and the New York Giants average uh, let average just over a win a week, which is horrifying because they play each <laughs> other frequently. That's a weird. So, way. That's a funny way to put it. A win a week. Yeah. It's like they like as as a collective they average just over a win a week, and or uh, sorry just under a win a week, and they play each other. So I don't know if I explained that correctly, but the point is the Cowboys are leading the division at two and four, uh, and they don't have a quarterback. So my whole thing is I've always been somebody who's pushed back against the idea that you take the twelve best teams regardless of conference or you know. You throw divisions out the window, all that stuff. But seeing this has truly made me reconsider the entire way that the NFL does business because they should just have an emergency meeting now and decide that none of these teams get to go to the playoffs because there is a real chance that a six-win team from this conference or division or whatever goes to the playoffs. And, I mean, they're just going to get smoked and they'll play the two seed and it'll be a basic buy for whoever the two seed is, but it'll be embarrassing for the NFL. Like – you don't want this product on your TV and you're getting no extra money out of it because there's not, Oh, maybe there is an extra game actually. So maybe I take that back. Maybe that is the one benefit you get from it. But the point is this is not playoff quality football. Like nobody, the Eagles, the Cats, Washington, New York, like none of those teams deserve to go to the playoffs. And at worst, the bottom team and the bottom two teams in the division, Washington and New York are one win away from being at the top of the division. So it's just a nightmare there. So they should absolutely change that. Do you think that you should have to finish 500 to be eligible for a division title? Otherwise it goes to like a third wild card team. That's not a bad idea, but it would be, you know, you, you could enforce it because it would so rarely happen. But I almost think that there should be, like, during the trade deadline, there should be an official warning by the commissioner to whatever division has the crappiest record. And then, you know, that division gets evaluated at the end of the season to see if they get to go to the playoffs because this is just a waste. Like, there's going to be a team. It's a waste of everybody's time. Yeah, and there's going to be a young quarterback that misses out on going to the playoffs because, like, he didn't start, you know, if Kyler Murray misses the playoffs because one of these teams it gets it gets Mike to go, McCarthy's it will be Cowboys or yeah. Now I will say this: I think the Washington football team would be decent if they would play Alex Smith. I know he was hurt last year, but he's already played, and it's great, and he's going to be comeback player of the year for it. But he's good at football. Like let him play. I don't understand. I mean, Matias, you were talking about this. You think Riverboat Ron's lost his mind playing Kyle Allen? Over even Dwayne Haskins. This Kyle Allen thing is is crazy to me. I I, I don't understand. I, I don't understand. This is another like tall white guy quarterback that that coaches <laughs> just love for absolutely no reason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sam Darnold. Well, that, 
I think Tannehill has proven that Adam Gase does not need to be the person we evaluate someone under. Um, we're we're gonna wrap up with that. We're gonna wrap up. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, be sure to join us next week and any time after that that you feel inclined. For Will and Matias, I'm Luke, reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense.